Well, hey, um, man, on March 5th, uh, it's a really exciting Sunday um, because we're having another baptism Sunday. And we've had some folks who have said, and I have put my faith in Jesus and I want to follow him in obedience. I don't want to declare publicly to my family and friends and my, my church family uh, that I've made this decision. And so we have several that's going to get baptized on uh, March 5th. And, and maybe, maybe you've been thinking about uh, about baptism. Maybe, maybe your faith in Jesus means a little bit more to you now than it did you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, maybe you were, uh, maybe you haven't been baptized and it's a believer's baptism. Well, this, this Sunday would be for you. And uh, next Sunday, uh, we have a class that Rachel and Tanner lead at 930 uh, that are just going to walk you through what is baptism, what does it mean, help you write your story uh, so that we can read your story on uh, that day. And so if you're interested in that, you can email Thomas at thomas at gospelcity.com or you can uh, see Thomas uh, after the service, and he'll get you uh, all the details and that. Or maybe maybe you have a kid who's asking some questions about baptism, or maybe you have some questions about baptism. That class would be a great class just to determine, is, is your child ready? Are you ready as an adult to do that, to, to declare your allegiance to Jesus? And so that's what March 5th is all about. So uh, plan to be here and plan to celebrate big that day. Um, so we are um, walking through the Bible and we're taking this uh, 35,000 foot view um, of the Bible these next 10 months. It's going to take us to Christmas. And uh, we're looking at this, this uh, single story thread, this single storyline that runs from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that points us to Jesus and his gospel. And uh, last week, we were introduced to this man named Abraham, okay? And... Uh, Abraham, God's grace found Abraham. We talked about God's call that was on Abraham's life, that Abraham didn't choose God, God chose Abraham. And uh, God makes Abraham these in, you know, four incredible promises. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your name great. Uh, I'm gonna turn you into a great nation. Uh, I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless others. And I'm not gonna stop there. God says, I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. And right then, the story, that story thread is pointing us to Jesus because Jesus would come from the lineage of Abraham and bless the whole world through, uh, through salvation, through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. And so that's what we saw last week as we were introduced to Abraham. This week, uh, we're gonna talk about prayer. But there's more than just prayer going on in today's text. And Abraham, we're going to look at Abraham again, and he is invited by God to be this legal representation for the city of Sodom. And Abraham, he's doing more than just praying. Uh, Abraham is acting as a priest on behalf of the people in the city of Sodom. And, you know, a priest is a bridge who spans the gap between man and God. And so we see three things that the passage tells us this morning. Let me just give them to you up front and then we're going to unpack them as we go along. But uh, this is what we're going to see this morning in, in the, today's passage. We're going to see the very first priest, okay? Uh, we're going to see the great priest and we're going to see the priest that you and I can become. So the first priest, the great priest, and the priest that we can become. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 18 this morning. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. 
but Genesis chapter 18. And, and let's, let's talk about this first priest because Abraham is acting as the very first priest. And, and to give you a little background in chapter 18, at the beginning of chapter 18, uh, three men show up at the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And one of the men is, is the Lord, okay? And the other two are angels. And after their visit with Abraham and, and Sarah, these three figures begin to walk towards the city of Sodom where Lot and his family had settled. And Lot, remember, was the nephew of Abraham. So Abraham has an invested interest in what's gonna happen in Sodom. And that's where our story picks up in verse 16, okay? So it says, when, when the men got up to leave, they looked down toward the city of Sodom and Abraham walked with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall, shall, we, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, in, in, other, word, in other words, it, it's kind of like when you and I uh, tell somebody, I'm not sure if I should say this or not, but I'm gonna, I, I am. I'm not sure if I should tell you this or not, because it's kind of on the DL, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. It, it's kind of showing them that you, you trust that person. And so that's what the Lord is doing. And God shows Abraham that he's gonna go down to the city of Sodom and, and, and judge them because the city of Sodom has become so vicious and so unjust and so corrupt and so evil that there's this outcry against them. Look at verse 18. Abraham will surely become great in a powerful nation. So this is the Lord talking. He's reminding Abraham of these promises that he made Abraham. So Abraham. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him. He didn't choose me, I chose him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry, we'll come back to that in just a moment, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I will know. So this word outcry, it, it refers to the cries of the oppressed. It refers to the cries of the victims of violence and injustice. And, and God says this outcry has reached me. The outcry of the people has reached me and they are being crushed and they're being crushed so great that I'm going to go down and see if what's going on really warrants my judgment. And so, but then God invites Abraham to intervene on behalf of the city of Sodom. Look at verse 22. It says, then the men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So Abraham is, begins to act as the very first priest, the very first um, representative, the, the legal representation of the city of Sodom. And now we get to the part of the story, we see this thread of a storyline that, that points us to Jesus as we talk about the great priest. Look at verse 23. It says, but then Abraham approached him. Now this word approach, it's a legal term. And it's, it's, uh, it means to approach the bench or approach the judge and uh, to present 
your, your, your case. And God has invited Abraham to intervene on behalf of the city of Sodom to present their case as their legal representative. So verse 23 says, then Abraham approached him, the Lord, and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Now, now Abraham, he, he, he doesn't say, you know, Lord, could you just take Lot out of the city, Lot and his family, take them out of the city and then nuke the whole city because I don't care what you do with them. He doesn't say that because he's acting as a priest. He is praying for all the people. And in verse 24, when he says, will you not spare, that word not spare, it's one word in Hebrew and it's the word forgive. And so what Abraham is saying to the Lord, he's saying, will you not forgive the place? Will you not forgive the whole group? In, in other words, what Abraham is saying is, could you value the righteousness of a few so that it covers the unrighteousness of many? And so now we're getting a glimpse of the gospel right here in Genesis chapter 18. Look at verse 25. So Abraham says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, remember, Abraham is a defense attorney, okay? And, and, and as a defense attorney, you have to assume the law, okay? In other words, if you're an attorney, okay, and you approach the judge, or if you're gonna be your own attorney, here, here's a little recommendation. If you're gonna be your own attorney, represent yourself, you can't approach the judge and, and say, judge, I, I, I know that my client broke the law, but don't you think it's kind of a stupid law anyway? That, that, that's what Abraham's not doing. You can't do that. You can't represent your client and say, listen, I know my client was going 40 miles an hour over the speed limit in a school zone and they were on their phone, but don't you think that's kind of a stupid rule anyway? So Abraham's not doing that. Uh, but see, you have to start with the law and that's what Abraham is doing. He's starting with the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God. And Abraham is saying to God, he's saying, I know, I know you are a holy God and I know that you are a righteous uh, God and I know you're a just God and I'm not trying to get around that. But can the righteousness of someone else cover and save someone else. And, and Abraham, he knows, he knows he has no right to ask this question. But what's even more amazing, what's so amazing about this passage is that God's will to save, God's desire to rescue is so strong and so dominant and so overriding that God would allow the righteousness of a few to cover the unrighteousness of many. And Abraham is saying, basically what he's saying is saying what you and I have said to God at one point or another. He's saying, is my, is my only salvation my record? Is my only hope to, to get into heaven the good things that I do? Is it only my religious background? Is it only my past? It is only my potential. Abraham is saying, is my only salvation my record? Or can the record of someone else save me? And to Abraham's astonishment, 
And to maybe even you and I shock and awe, the Lord says, yes. The righteousness of someone else can cover and save you. Now look at verse 26 and through 33. It says, the Lord said, if I find 50. So Abraham has asked for 50, okay? And uh, Abraham, by the way, has broken the number one rule of negotiation. What's the number one rule of negotiation, right? It's whoever speaks first loses, okay? So just remember that. Next time you come to buy a car from me, okay? Whoever speaks first loses because you set the price of, you know, anyway, anyway, never mind. Um, so, so Abraham, he's asked for 50. And the Lord said, you know what, Abraham, I'll tell you, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham kind of realizes, whew, 50 may be a lot. Maybe I spoke too soon. And then Abraham spoke up again. And he says, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, Though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Okay, so teenagers, when you are arguing with your parents, maybe this is what you, know, you need to use. You know, now I've been so you know, bold to speak. I, I, I'm reminding you I'm nothing but dust and ashes. But I know you said 1130, but could we just make it 12 just this once? You know, kind of deal. It's kind of negotiation. It says, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And the Lord replied, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. And once again, Abraham spoke and said, what if only 40 are found there? And the Lord said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may, may the Lord not be angry, but, but, but let me speak just one more time, God. Uh, what if, what if I, only 30 can be found there? And that, and he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And then Abraham said, now, now that I've been so bold, I, I, I know I keep coming back, Lord, but you know, I started with 50 and that was a little too high. Uh, but what if, what if for the uh, sake of 20, what if 20 can be found? And the Lord said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry. This is the last time. Uh, but, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? So now we've gone from 50 to 10. And the Lord answered, for the sake of 10, 10 righteous people, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord has finished speaking to, with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. See, Abraham, he keeps bartering with God. You know, 50, 45, 40, 30, do I hear 20, do I hear 10? And Abraham gets to 10 righteous people and he goes home. He stops at 10. And, and, and as we read the story, we're left wanting Abraham to go one more further and say, Lord, would you save for one? Could one righteous person be enough to save the whole? That's what we're wanting Abraham to say, but he goes home at 10. Why? Why not go on? You started at 50, pal. Why not go to one? And here's the reason why. Because Abraham knew all he had his only hope was Lot, and he knew in his heart, even Lot wasn't righteous enough to save for the unrighteous. And so he goes home. But Abraham discovered 
the gospel principle right here in Genesis chapter 18. And the gospel principle is this, that the righteousness of one could save the unrighteous of many. That the righteousness of one can cover the unrighteousness of many. And you and I know that we need a high priest that stays before God. And Jesus is that high priest for us. And Abraham, he prayed. He's acting as a priest. He prayed for the people who could hurt him, okay? The Canaanites, they could hurt. They could come up and wipe Abraham off the face of the earth. Jesus, he prayed for the people who are killing him. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Abraham, he risked his life for other people. Jesus gave up his life for us. Hebrews chapter seven says this. The author says this, says, such a high priest truly meets our need. So he gives the, what a high priest is all about. One is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, okay, so he's unrighteous, but also for the sins of the people who are also unrighteous. But this high priest, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is our high priest and he offered up himself so that the one righteous person being Jesus can cover all of our sins and all of the unrighteous people and that's us. And the Bible says what you and I embrace what Jesus has done for us. When you and I embrace Jesus as our savior, we enter into solidarity with him and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus, he becomes our high priest. You see, in and of ourselves, apart from Jesus, in and of ourselves, if we stand before God, with all of our, with all of our you know, good deeds and good works and humanitarian efforts and religious you know, uh, activity, we are flawed. We are, we are unrighteous. We are doomed. But when we put our faith in Christ, we stand before almighty, holy, righteous, just God, righteous. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that covers us from Jesus. We get to stand before holy God as if we have done everything right. Because Jesus' righteousness is transferred to us. Jesus is our high priest and he intercedes for us before God, the one true righteous who saves all of the unrighteous. Jesus is the great priest. Now, this is where you and I enter the story because you and I can become priests. See, after we place our faith in Jesus, you and I become part of this brotherhood. We become part, uh, part of the royal priesthood. And in 1 Peter, Peter writes this in chapter two. He says, but you, this is who we are. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are a chosen people. We didn't choose Jesus, Jesus chose us. We are a royal priesthood. We'll talk about that in just a moment. A holy nation, God's special possession. In other words, you are valuable to God. And you say, well, how valuable am I? Okay, just say that with me. How valuable am I? I'm glad you asked. You're so valuable that Jesus Christ would go to the cross for you. 
That's how valuable we are. You are a special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. We didn't find our way out of darkness. It's not like, you know, we're, we're going around the darkness and, you know, we bump up against the wall and we're trying to find and we all of a sudden, you know, find the doorway and we're out of the darkness. We didn't, we didn't find our way out of darkness. God called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, remember that. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how is it that you and I have mercy? We what? What's that word? We, oh my gosh. Really? I mean, received it's kind of like we're bored with God. It's like, okay, God, what else you got? I know I've been wandering around in darkness my whole life and you've called me into your wonderful light and it's not based on anything I've done. I've received it. So how do we get the mercy of God? We, we receive. And what that means is we don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't buy our way in to mercy. We can't be good enough for mercy. We can't perform our way into mercy. Mercy is not predicated on our past, thank God. It's not predicated on our, on our potential. It, mercy is received from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that means that we have access to God and we have the ability to love and serve others. A priest has compassion for people. A priest prays for the salvation of people. A priest meets the needs of people around them. And so please, watch, listen, don't miss this. The application of today is not, let's be like Abraham. That's not the application. Because if we close out today's talk with a challenge to be like Abraham, it will crush us. I mean, if we were to close out with, here are five ways to be like Abraham, I promise you by lunchtime, by the end of lunch, I would have failed miserably on three out of five. Maybe four out of five. Okay, we're being honest, five out of five. The application to not be like Abraham. And if I, I mean, let's just be honest for a minute. I mean, there are days that, I don't know about your prayers, but, but, but my prayers, there's no sense of intimacy. It, it, it feels like I might as well write my prayers on a, on a piece of paper and roll it up and stick it in a bottle because that's how intimate it feels. Some of you are probably thinking, and that's our pastor? There are some days I don't pray for anybody but me. And there are some days that I don't serve anybody but me. And the people who feel that the most are my family. Because I'm counting on them to make me feel valued and special and accepted and significant. And only Jesus can do that. So the application today is not, hey, let's go out and be like Abraham. But here is the application. 
the application is let's look towards the one who Abraham points us to. Let's look to the one who Abraham points us to. Because Jesus makes all the difference. And as the band comes, I, I just want to close with this because here, here's the gospel. Okay? Apart from Christ, we are completely flawed. We're broken. But in Christ, we are completely righteous before God. And when we understand the gospel, when we get that in our lives, it leads to this incredible boldness, but also humility all at the same time. See, it, it, it leads to this humility because when we embrace the gospel that Jesus Christ died for us and nothing says we're more significant, more, um, more accepted, more approved, when we embrace that, it leads to this humility of knowing that, that Jesus has done everything for me. It means that I can't feel superior to anyone. Right? If I know that Jesus does all the work and he does all the saving, I can't feel superior to anybody because I don't have anything to boast or brag about other than Jesus. So I have this, we have this incredible sense of humility about us. And we don't feel superior or better than anybody else because we realize we're all in the same hopeless situation because of our sin. But oh man, God loves me. He's, he, 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 he has called me out of my darkness and I've embraced the grace of Jesus Christ. He's done all the work. But we also have this incredible sense of boldness in Jesus because we know that uh, because Jesus did all the work and that he loves us so much that we can't feel inferior to anyone else either. You feel that tension of boldness and, and humility that I, I can't boast about anything because I didn't do anything. But, but, but I also know that there's nothing that I can do. When I put my faith in Jesus, there's nothing I can do to cause God to love me any more or, or nothing I can do to cause God to love me any less. And that leads me to be so bold because I can't lose the love of God. Now, it doesn't mean I just go out and do whatever I want to do and live how I want to live, but it does mean, God, because you've done so much for me through Jesus Christ, I want to live for you. I want to take these talents that you've given me and I want to use them in a way that bring other people to you. I want to be a priest. I want to stand in the gap at my job. I want to stand in the gap at school. I want to stand in the gap for my family. And when we get the gospel, man, we are freed up. We're freed up to serve like Jesus. We're freed up to love like Jesus. We're freed up to, to not hold grudges against people like Jesus does. We are freed up to pray for people like Jesus. When we embrace the gospel, that's the gospel.